Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Now let's go ahead and get into another lost episode of The Whistler. The original air date, March the 17th, 1955, and the title is A Matter of Odds. Clear. Presented by the United States Air Forces in Europe. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadow. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Tonight, transcribed, it's the Whistler's strange story, A Matter of Odds. It was a matter of odds from the beginning, because that was the way Danny Atkins lived. By the odds, a betting chance, but he played safe, carefully figured the odds in Danny's own favor. It was that way right now in a dimly lit back street in Panama City. Danny was carefully following a man named Keller, a merchant seaman with a little too much alcohol aboard. Then two blocks in an alley later, it happened. A dark figure leaping forth, an exchange of blows, and then Danny running forward. Try to jump my pal, will you? Hey, look out, Danny. He's in the way. Get him, Danny. Ah, ah, get us. Let him go. Here. Your wallet. Or are you too tight to see? Oh, now, look. Oh, yeah, sure. So I suppose you didn't talk too much back then to seven sinners, huh? I suppose you didn't go big shot, flash in the wall. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, kid. Yeah. Anyway, you just saved me three months' pay, kid. So come on, I'll buy you a drink, because you're my pal. Okay, Keller. <laughs> I'm your pal. <laughs> <laughs> Amusing, isn't it, Danny? The way you picked up with Keller earlier that evening in the Seven Sinners Bar became friendly with him. And all the while you were figuring the odds, weighing how much bigger Keller was, how drunk. Then someone else jumped in. And now you emerge as a hero instead of a villain. But as you enter another bar, the blue moon, you tell yourself that it isn't over. Not yet. Hey, come on, Johnny. A blue moon here's as good a place as any. Hey, hiya, Francie. Hi, boy. All right, take it easy, Keller. They'll toss us out. Yeah, not as long as we can play, they want. And your old Keller's got a nice roll, right? Yeah, sure. Hey, waiter. How about a table? Yeah. I'll find you a table for my friend, Mr. Keller. <laughs> yeah, there you see, Danny. Nice girl, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Who's your friend, sailor? Danny, boy. Just Danny, boy, sweetheart. 
Ace, my pal. You just see my neck. Here we are. Sit down, fellas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that is my pal. He's quite an athlete, too. Hey, show Francie that picture of you on a hometown baseball team, Donnie boy, huh? She is, Minister. Ah, sure she is, aren't you, honey? Hey, Joey, come here. I got a customer for you. What? Oh, 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 yeah. Come here, pal. Come here. Who's Joey? Ticket vendor. Here's the National Lottery. A lot of dough gonna change hands soon. Hello, Francie. You want to buy some tickets? No, my friend does. Mr. Keller. Oh, Mr. Keller. Uh, All right. How many, sir? Uh, I'll take a... Fistful, Joey. Fistful. Keller, wait a minute. Relax, Danny. I feel lucky. Uh, Joey, give me a lot of threes, huh? You know, threes lucky for me. Sure, Mr. Keller, sure. How, how about number definite minus. You weigh the odds and decide your chance. You walk up the flight of stairs to the second floor. And down the hall to 214, Keller's hotel room. You're surprised to find his door half open. You enter cautiously. Keller. Keller. Sleeping like a baby, Tickets are gone. What? Francie. Yeah. That's where the door was open. Has to be Francie, doesn't it, Danny? Yes, the girl in the bar last night. It's the middle of the afternoon before you finally find out where she stays and stop by her apartment. Lottery ticket. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no, you wouldn't, huh? Oh, you're packing, huh, Francie? You going somewhere? I got a new engagement. You booked him to San Francisco. Sure. Well, 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 look here. Right on top of your pretty thing. All this money. All right. So I cashed Keller's ticket. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, thanks, Francie. 30000 will take me quite a distance. Oh, look, Danny. Leave me some of that money after all. I... Yes? Who is it? Me, Francie. Keller. 
Hop on up. I want to talk to you. What do we do? Stop off, Francie. If you don't open this door, I'll blast the lock. were poor then, weren't they? But the window in the fire escape gave you a way out. Once you've given Keller the slip, you booked passage on a freighter for San Diego, where you arrive three days later with Keller's money. You buy a new sports car and start driving north. The odds you always figure seem definitely in your favor, don't they? With little chance of Keller finding you in your old hometown of Trent City. When you arrive, you pull in again. Yes, sir. Fill her up. Hiya, Chuck. Well, what do you know, Danny Atkins? Hey, welcome home. You here to stay? Maybe. Oh, uh, nothing like the old hometown, Danny. Yeah, it looks good to me, Chuck. Nothing changed much, has it? Nah. The old gang's still around, too. Most of them married now, though. Except Diane. Guess she's still waiting for you, boy. Hey, why don't you look her up? Oh, maybe I will. Hey, you notice that new ranch house on the left as you came into town just past the bridge? Yeah, I did. It's a lot of class. I was wondering... Her old man there. built that place last summer. Some of that mining property he owned up there in the hills paid off. Yes, yes. No. Looks like uh, maybe it was a mistake for you to leave town, Danny. Mr. Johnson always wanted you to go into business with him. Yeah, no. Still playing the odds, Danny? That's right. What are the odds when you're staying on here? Right now, Chuck, they look pretty good. Mr. Johnson. Glad to see you. Come on in. You're looking fine, Danny, fine. From what I've heard from the folks around town, you seem to have done pretty well for yourself. Well, I've heard the same about you, Mr. Johnson. Oh, I've been lucky, I guess. It's more than luck with you, though. Good common horses. That's what it is. You figure things out. Your dad was like that. Oh, uh, Diane! You stare at her, don't you, Dan? Unable to believe what you see. Diane has changed, hasn't she? After a pleasant chat, you stay on for dinner. And through it all, you find you can't keep your eyes off of her, can you, Dan? And then later, the two of you go for a walk along the quiet, tree-lined street. Wonderful having you back here, Dan. Good to be back. You know, I've missed always. The old town, old friends. We haven't had much time to talk about them, have we? With Dad monopolizing the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's on his mind. Do I? So wants you to join the firm. Talked to nothing else the past few years, hoping he'd come back. When he does ask you, and I know he will, think it over carefully before giving your answer. It's it would mean a lot to 
But it'd mean a lot to you, Diane. It becomes quite clear to you in the weeks that follow, the hours you spend with Diane, that she's very much in love with you, isn't she? And then early one evening, the two of you drive down to San Diego and have dinner at a fashionable hotel. You know, Danny, you still haven't told me what this is all about. We celebrating something? We are. I had another talk with your father this afternoon. Danny. Oh, you don't mm, mean... That's right. I'm in the firm. Oh, that's wonderful. I had a little idle capital on my hand, so I decided to invest. For an interest. Of course, a small one, but still... I'm just so happy about all this. Well, I, I just don't know what to say. You could say yes. Out on the terrace, darling. I think I'm going to burst It's all working out just the way you've planned it, isn't it, Dan? Yes, everything neatly calculated, the odds carefully considered, and the future looks bright. The following morning, you accompany your future father-in-law to look over his newest project, the abandoned Crofton Mine. Son, I go along with those ideas of yours 100%. By the angles there, I hadn't figured out. Uh, one more thing, Mr. Johnson, about that uh, double cable running from the mine entrance here across the river to the road on the other side. You're going to have the boys put in a couple of new cables. Uh, why? They're all rusty. Won't hold up. I mean, why use the cables at all? How else are we going to haul the stuff we take out of the mine here to the tracks across the river? Well, we, we don't have to cross the river. Look, if we build a road from the main entrance to the new highway a few miles down, trucks could drive from the highway to the mine here. We could load them on this side and forget about the river. <laughs> Something as simple as this staring me right in the face and I don't see it. <laughs> well, it just takes a little figuring, Mr. Johnson. That's all. Plans for the reopening of the old Crofton mine run smoothly in the next few days, don't they, Dan? And you find more and more time to spend with Diane. And then one night, you drop her off at her house after a date and walk back towards your car. Hello, Sonny boy. Killer. Yeah, your sailor friend. What odds were you given that I wouldn't find you? How did you find me? That baseball picture you showed me back in Panama. You forgot it showed your high school in the background. Trent City High. <laughs> Maybe you thought I was too high to notice it, huh? All right, now, Danny, I want my dough. All of it. I, I don't have it. I, uh, I've invested it. Okay, so get it back. Get it back? That's impossible right now. Maybe in a few months. I, I can't think. wait that long. I'll give you a couple of days, but dough or else. Or else you'll come after me with that rod? What good is that? I wouldn't plug you, Danny. Unless I had to. No. Then what? The hometown folks here might be surprised to learn how you got that dough, huh? That little chick you've been running around with. Old man Johnson. All your pals. Look, Killer, uh, you'll get your money. Sure, I will. One way or another. 
Keller could ruin everything for you, couldn't he, Danny? And the odds are that he will, unless you stop it, silence it. It's a dangerous step to take, isn't it? One you must think over carefully and weigh the odds. You've made up your mind what to do when he phones you two nights later. You arrange to meet him on a quiet road just outside of town. He's standing by his car waiting for you when you walk up. Ah, right on time, Donnie boy. That's fine. What, uh, what's in the shoebox? Oh, you wanted cash, didn't you? Yeah. Hold still. I want to make sure you're not packing a gun. No, no gun. Well, how about putting yours away? <laughs> it might make me nervous. Sure. Why not? Okay. Let's have the dough open the box. The moment he slips his gun into his pocket, you open the shoebox. And your hand closes over the forty-five you've hidden inside. <laughs> Keller staggers forward as he's hit. There's a brief struggle. His hands close around your throat. You pull away and then he falls back. Slumps to the ground. You stare at him for a moment. And then suddenly you're aware that a car is approaching. You dive into the ditch. A truck, Danny. Loaded with townspeople coming home from the barn dance at Fondale. And you recognize the voice of your friend, Chuck Martin. Hey, there's been an accident. Let's have a look. Yeah, this is better. Hey, this guy's been shot, Chuck. He's dead. Yeah. You better go for the police. The rest of us stay here. Hey, hey wait. Hey, well, what's this in his hand? Part of somebody's shirt collar. Your hand goes to your collar. You realize for the first time that in the struggle, Keller ripped a good part of your shirt collar away. And if you're caught, it'll be easy to prove the torn collar in Keller's hand came from your shirt. The odds against you have mounted fast, haven't they, Danny? You've got to make a run for it. There's nothing else you can do. Look! Over there! Somebody run across the field! Oh, hey! hey. 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 Let's get him, you guys! Come on! They're not far behind as you approach the foothills, are they, Danny? And then as you reach the river, you know you're trapped. There's no way to get across. But then suddenly you remember. Yes, the mine cable stretching over the river, not far downstream. A few minutes later, you reach them. Cables are eaten by rust, and it's a long way across, isn't it? A rushing river below. If you make it to the other side, you'll be safe. If you stay here, the chances are you'll be caught. You weigh the odds carefully, don't you, Dan? Tell you, I'm sure he came up this way. Well, he isn't here. Did you get a good look at him? Nah, it's too dark. Probably headed downstream toward the bridge. Only way to get across. Yeah. Wait a minute. I just happened to think of something. What about that cable line leading across the river? It's around here someplace, isn't it? Well, sure, but a guy'd be as tapped to try it. Hand over hand, more than 50 yards? Uh-uh. I guess you're right. He wouldn't try it. Wouldn't I, Chuck? <laughs> wouldn't I? Now, back to The Whistler. 
small group of townspeople, shocked by the news of the tragedy, had gathered at the river's edge just below the Crofton Mine. High above them at the mine entrance stood Chuck Martin and Mr. Johnson, surveying the scene in stunned silence. Presently, the two men approached the edge of the cliff, and Chuck points toward the opposite shore. That's where Danny fell. R- right out there on the rocks. Yeah. Just don't understand this at all. Why did this happen? Why? Lots of things I don't understand about this either. Only I'm... I, I'm pretty sure of one thing. Now, call it a hunch, if you will, Mr. Johnson. Oh, what's that? Well, according to where Danny fell, he, he must have been about a third of the way across when that first cable snapped. I guess he knew the other cable wouldn't hold his weight any longer either, so he had to decide what to do. Yeah. Keep going or turn back. Yeah. He'd probably have made it either way. If only he'd reached a quick decision, but you know how Danny was about decisions. Yeah, the odds. Always thinking about the odds. Yeah. I guess this time he took just a little too long to figure him out. Be with us again next week when once again the United States Air Forces in Europe present The Whistler. AFN production by Army PFC Ron Johnson. This is Air Force Sergeant Tom Alford speaking. Welcome back. Uh, An episode, I think, that has a couple of key moral points. I think the first big idea they have is that you should not live your life determining right and wrong and how you are going to behave morally by just a simple guess of what the odds are going to be, how it's going to turn out for you. The other point is that it's just not a good way to live life. That to be, you know, I I think that there's definitely a place for being able to evaluate how things will work. Uh, But there's a danger of analysis paralysis. And then there's, you know, it's essentially uh, taking what can be a good thing to an extreme, that ability to evaluate odds, and that becomes all you think about. Though I do notice in here that He's asked, you know, to evaluate what are the odds? Uh, What do the odds tell you? And he rarely gives a specific number. In many ways, the way he lives by the odds is ultimately faith in himself, faith in his own ability to be able to calculate what's the more likely outcome is. And uh, that presents problems uh, of itself as well. For example, he did not take into account folks coming back from the barn dance when he plotted the murderer. And that's why he ends up in a situation where he's so quickly running for his life. For me, I I would tend to calculate the odds differently. I think any time you commit a murder you are taking a massive chance. There is so much that could go wrong. There are so many bits of physical evidence. What I would expect if you were paying the odds would be to, instead of uh, killing him, uh, go to the police and say, you know, I was overseas and I got ran into some 
a really good run of luck. And this sailor, he's drunk all the time. You know, he lost some money, and he's coming after me. He's threatening to kill me and, uh, and tell a bunch of lies about me all over town. And you call the uh, sheriff in, uh, and with uh, people knowing you, and also I think if I would bet on the fact that he is uh, that the sailor has not done anything through official channels. If he had, he would not be there, uh, you know, himself to collect this debt. And so he most likely has no proof of anything he's saying. Uh, but you, you know, it would not be hard to set him up for blackmail and then say, look, I'm not in a mood to prosecute you. I'll give you a couple hundred dollars and you can go your way and I'll drop charges. Of course, I guess he might think, what are the odds that he will, that the sailor would stick with such an agreement? And by the way, you know, sound quality can be a bit of a challenge with these, but I definitely recognize uh, William Conrad in this as a sailor, so it's always fun to get another William Conrad episode. At any rate, that'll do it for today. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Check us out on Twitter at Radio Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.